What's up, DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Jenny Meyer and Melissa Connor of JBCPR. So, guys, I'll let you kick us off. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about JBC and your both respective backgrounds in PR and getting uh, everything up and running at JBC? Uh, Melissa, you want me to take this one? You can kick off and then I'll jump in with my spiel. So Melissa and I actually have similar backgrounds. We both worked at various agencies and in-house in PR for a while. We we actually met because I hired her at a now defunct PR agency about, I don't know, Melissa, maybe like 15 years ago now, maybe 12 years ago now. Um, Let's and not the, put timing joke, on anything, please. Yeah. <laughs> The the joke there is that I hired her. I was running comms at this PR agency. I met her. She was super young, super, super smart. And I was like, yeah, come work with us. She accepted the job. She started the job. And one day later, I resigned. And so funny enough, we never even really had the opportunity to work together. But she made such a mark on me that I kind of made a mental note in the back of my head that if we were, I were to ever do anything with a leadership role, I would find a way to somehow kidnap her and get her to work with me because um, I was really insanely wowed by her at a really young age. So after kind of doing PR for various brands, specifically actually fashion, we did a lot of fashion, um, we both kind of hit a crossroads at the same time. So about 10 years ago, we both found ourselves, frankly, extremely bored. Uh, we had been doing PR for a really long time. Brands were just kind of expecting the same results from kind of traditional agencies. Traditional agencies were operating with the same roadmap they had been operating with for, frankly, decades. Um, and there didn't seem to be a lot of agencies. There were a few, but addressing kind of this shift with the consumer and this shift in the economy and this shift in the media landscape and how people were beginning to consume information. So, you know, it was no longer about reading a magazine and seeing like a really cute pair of jeans and going into a store and saying, look, I, I saw this pair of jeans in Lucky Magazine. I want to buy it. It really became about I listened to a podcast today and, you know, I heard them mention this really cool direct consumer dish company and now I want to Google it. And now I read an article on Fast Company and then funny enough, the next day I saw it on the Today Show. So everyone started kind of getting bombarded by information and we didn't feel like there were really enough agencies out there that were addressing this this new boom in, you know, innovative businesses, but also the shift in, in how the media was behaving. Um, so we, we started JBC, frankly, as like a really small consultancy. Like it was Melissa and I sitting on our couches. We rarely saw each other. I sat on my, my couch on the Upper West Side. She was in Brooklyn. And we just were kind of like, listen, we'll find some brands and we'll see if we can approach their media relations in a really strategic way. So not just about kind of like straightforward product placement, but around real you know, meaningful storytelling. How do we tell really interesting narratives about the founders? How do we tell really interesting narratives about the product, about how this brand began? So kind of like a little bit of a more, you know, intellectual type of PR, but a PR that took more time and a lot more effort, a lot more creativity. And frankly, we did that for a year and it was awesome because we got to sit on our couches and consult and make a significant amount of money and we were both really happy, but what happened was, you know, brands started kind of calling us and saying, listen, like we keep reading these really great stories about brand X, Y, and Z, and they say, you're doing the PR, can we talk to you? And then it just kind of happened. And I always say like, we didn't have a business plan, 
neither Melissa nor I wanted to run an agency like that. I, I was so anti-agency by that point. I was like, if I talk to someone else at an agency, I'm going to lose my mind. I, the whole way agencies were set up, frankly, were set up to fail. There was like this whole kind of image of a lot of peer agencies just being really kind of catty mean girls. We, we were not into it. Um, but as we started getting this interest from brands, we started realizing we can do this differently. We can actually take everything we've learned from working at other agencies and retaining other agencies and do the opposite. Take every mistake, take everything that made us insane and try to fix it. And that's essentially how this agency was born. Um, and, you know, to this day, fast forward nine years later, we have, you know, 50 something clients and 50 something people and, you know, a few different offices and, I really truly do think our take on how we approach media relations, how we approach running our business has been, you know, a really positive, impactful, you know, kind of thing for both of us. And it hasn't, I, I can honestly say for like, it hasn't for one day felt like a tedious job or a traditional kind of PR situation. But Melissa, I'll yeah. let you talk a little bit more no, about like, I think, why we started. Yeah, I mean, I think when we were doing what we were doing, just the two of us, we got to the point where we realized we were on to this like secret sauce and it was two really simple things. One was the brands that were exci most exciting to us were the disruptors. They were the ones who were doing new things in their categories. They were leaders, they were innovators, but their choices with agencies was either go to a, a consumer agency and not get any support on the business and thought leadership side or go to a tech and business focused agency and not get any support on the consumer side versus going somewhere that could really um, service the full brand holistically. Because um, I really don't see how you can split those two things up. So that was one thing. We were addressing the brand's needs on every layer and every level that existed within that brand. So we were talking to their consumers on a regular basis, but we were also creating thought leaders around the brand itself and also um, the founders or executives behind the brand. So it was a full scope. The other side of that is, Jen already mentioned this, the agency brand relationship sucks and the reputation for it is awful. And the beauty of kind of what we've experienced in our careers is we've been on both sides. Jen and I have both have been in-house and we both have worked on the agency side. So we've seen it and we've understood it and we get it. And there were just so many things broken about the relationship. So for us, it was like, first, we're going to just do PR better and more holistically for brands, but also let's change the relationship with our clients. And um, I think small things we've done have really made a huge impact with just the partnerships we have. They're so much more dynamic. They're so much deeper. They're longer lasting because of that trust that's built really early on and that transparency. So um, I think it's just those two key things really have created what is JVC from even day one when there was four clients all the way till now. So, um, and the, one of our clients who was one of our early, who's a, still a colleague now and a friend, but a very early client was like, if you can maintain these two things that you're doing, which is stick with this, like this category of brand that is truly innovative, but also stick to this level of service and, and protect this relationship with your partners, you guys will be golden. So, and I've never forgotten, and I don't think Jen has either. And it's, that's what we're constantly reevaluating and thinking. And are we optimizing not just what we do as a service, but our relationship too with our brands? You know, and, and one of the reasons I was so excited to talk with you guys is you guys obviously work with a lot of the top brands in the direct-to-consumer commerce landscape. And what, what I'd really love to kind of start to unpack is 
you know, if you guys, maybe Jenny or Melissa, whichever, whomever wants to take it, if you could just paint us a little picture of like what the PR landscape looks like, right? Like what, by, by you guys working in this landscape for so long, what are some of those partnerships and relationships you've been able to develop? And then for the brand, like what do they need to be, what do they need to be thinking about when it comes to PR to be able to make sure they're positioned well for growth and everything that they want to do? I mean, I can speak to the brand side first, and most maybe you can speak to the other, is I think when a brand is launching, like, first of all, I can't stress the importance of PR. I think there's a lot of brands that we've talked to, and they'll come to us, and they're like, listen, like, we decided to just launch with Influencer, or we're just launching with, you know, digital marketing, and they come back three months later, and they're like, shit, like, we need we needed PR. Because at the end of the day, people may forget an influencer posts about, you know, a breakfast cereal or a new headphone. But at the end, of, if you read a really kind of meaty piece in Fast Company or the New York Times or TechCrunch or Forbes, that's going to be long lasting. You're going to remember that. That brand is going to stay in your head um, because you took the time to understand who's the founder, what's their background, what's the brand, how did it come about? And so I think, you know, PR to me is an absolute priority when you're launching a brand. But here's what people don't realize is there's many different ways to get PR and many different avenues you can take. So I think a lot of brands figure the only way to do PR is to hire a super expensive external agency. And that's just not true anymore. There are so many great consultants. There are so many great, super scrappy, tiny agencies. And then, of course, there's monster huge agencies like an Edelman, a Weber Shamwick, you know, agencies like that that have been around for decades. So it's really about figuring out what's the best fit for your brand. And that takes time. I always say it's like dating, you know, like you really have to spend time with the people at this agency. Who's going to manage your account? Do I see myself? comfortable talking to this person every single day? Do I trust the people on this team? So there are options for anyone. You can find a consultant for, you know, as cheap as a few hundred dollars a, a placement or a month or a project. And then you can spend $50,000 a month on a large kind of multifaceted agency. So the the good news is there's really something for everyone. You know, you don't just need to spend all that money to kind of have some sort of meaningful PR moment surrounding your launch. And I don't think people realize that. I think people just assume, oh, well, I can't afford PR for my launch, so I'm just going to double down on XYZ. There is a way to do it. And also, you could do it internally. That's the truth. If you are smart and you're scrappy and, you, frankly, you have no budget whatsoever for PR and you have a really fantastic story to tell, then it's as simple as emailing an editor or calling an editor figuring out who's going to respond best to that story and sharing your story. That's what PR is. So to me, PR is absolutely essential and there's no way to, there's just many different ways to do it and find the right partner. And I think that finding the right partner piece is really tricky and you should kind of devote some time to finding the right partner because what you don't want to do is feel super rushed, find a PR agency partner three weeks later, you know, one week before your launch say, shit, these people totally don't get what I'm talking about. Like they have no results. This is not the right partner for me. So, you know, from a brand perspective, like, again, like I don't think there's anything more important when it comes to launch other than having a functional website, um, but then having the right story to tell and the right people to tell it. Yeah, I think one thing that you mentioned really jumps out is like the importance of PR. And it seems like a lot of founders that, 
think about PR, it's almost like something that they're not thinking about until they're like, oh, like we have a launch coming up and now we want to get placed in all these uh, different media outlets. So now let's go find our PR. Whereas what you're kind of saying, and, and I definitely agree with it, is like you need to be thinking about PR as like a real partnership. If, if it's something that you're able to do in-house and you can put that effort in, in-house, you can do that. But clearly, you know, like you guys having worked in the space for so long, you're going to be able to expedite that process. You guys are probably going to be a great partner for a lot of different brands. And maybe there's brands of different sizes or scopes or niches that aren't the exact right fit. So what you're kind of saying is, hey, it's really PR is a really important piece of the puzzle. Make sure you give PR thought just like you give everything else thought and evaluate those partnerships so that when it comes time to launch, you're you you have someone because I've right. seen it so many times. So and many yeah, friends. you want to have someone locked into. Go ahead. I know you're well, going to say what I was, was going to say. I, probably. But what, what I was going to add to what Jenny said was um, you can't think of PR. I can't overemphasize how important PR is as a function of your business, no matter what stage you are, especially if you're launching. And you can't think of it as an afterthought because what we say time and time again, every time we talk to people about PR, and we talked about this before we started, is firmly believe that it is the most scalable investment you can make in your brand, 100%, because the stories that are told exist in real time all the time, whether it's broadcast, online, you can always find that print placement, but the way it can be repurposed and also the effect it has on every other external function of your brand is unimmeasurable. You know, it is truly something you can repurpose for paid media. It impacts the um, how hard or easy it is to work with influencers. It makes it much easier when you want to work with other brands for strategic partnerships. It helps with investors. Um, I, we can't tell you how many times we hear from our clients that a particular story or body of work over time, how much has impacted their business in ways beyond just traffic and revenue. An investor, one client said, an investor who I've been chasing for two years finally answered me after they saw that story in the Wall Street Journal that you got me. And now they're going to invest, you know, and it took the one story. So I, I think it, and, and another I, I, way it works is once you have that machine up and running and that great body of stories happening regularly, you can take all the money you're investing in all these other channels and start decreasing that because your investment in PR was so smart and is working so well that you can spend less in all those other areas because the press is really driving the efficacy of it, all those other channels. So I, I say this time and time again, and, and, and a lot of founders don't believe us when we say these things, but then once they feel it and they see it, then it's, it's like they're preaching the same thing. So um, I, I can't emphasize it enough. And, and one thing that I've seen uh, time and time again is it's like, I think a lot of founders might get bucketed into thinking of PR as purely a PR channel, purely a performance channel when it's when it goes like hand in hand with the other stuff you're doing. So if, for example, if, if you're just running Facebook ads, right, when you turn those off, like that's it. But if you're running that strategy in conjunction with really good PR, when you serve a an ad to a new customer, you know, 
people don't off like yes there is performance where people convert on the spot see your ad purchase it etc but a lot of times there's a lot of discovery and product discovery and they're looking for that second signal of trust to go with it so if you're baking in your pr strategy where you're able to say okay we're going to have our performance marketing on one arm but we're going to have laid a solid foundation of pr so when someone sees our ad and goes to like check us like look us up on google or look us up they see us come up in all these things they read these stories and they're like ah okay this makes sense. It checks out and they have the trust, to, especially when shopping from a new brand for the first time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And something else you mentioned, Melissa actually didn't say what I wanted to say. So that's exciting. <laughs> um, is, and you brought this up, Lynn. Um, I think a lot of the time people think about PR as an afterthought, which is what you said. And the tricky thing there is at the end of the day, when you hire a publicist or a PR agency, you don't want them just kind of like regurgitating what you told them. Like you want to spend time with these people so they truly understand the DNA of your brand. And you can't do that in two days, you know? So ideally when you're looking for a good PR partner and you know you're launching in say like May, you want to start spending time with those people in March so that you can work together to develop the messaging. As you said, work with all these other streams of communication. So make sure that PR is talking to the social media team, talking to the retail team. You need to make sure that what, Ever the overarching messaging is, it's communicated across all different platforms. And that doesn't happen in two days. That takes time. I think Melissa worked at a pretty big agency a while ago, and she used to tell me how she would walk into the office and they'd be like, okay, you know, we have a new client, start pitching them tomorrow. And she'd be like, I, I've never even seen the product. I've never tried it. I've never met the founder. So we really kind of stress that when you're talking to a PR partner, whether it's a person or an agency, like get to know them and make sure they understand who you are and what your brand is all about, because they're going to be the people that are out there talking about your brand. They're going to be the people that are selling your brand to the editorial community in many different ways. So it, it shouldn't be, and ideally shouldn't be a rushed process because it's an important one. No, absolutely. And one thing I'd love to also kind of get into now is, um, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about some of the brands that you guys have had the pleasure of working with over the years at JBC? And maybe we can kind of from there go into, um, you know, how some of these brands that you've worked with, how you guys thought about working together and helping them, whether it was through launch or different stages of growth. Well, one of our favorites and one of our longest standing clients, which I think is great because it shows the evolution of a relationship between a brand and PR and agency is Parachute. Um, I think everyone knows Parachute. Everyone loves Parachute for a lot of reasons. Um, and when we first started working with Ariel, who's the CEO the and founder, she was in her first um, category um, with her first product, which was bedding, sheets. And um, so this is like year one, um, if you know Parachute well. And But what she said to us, which was really key, and I think we asked the right question is, and questions that I had never heard people at other agencies ask me when I was in house or ask our clients was where do you want to be five years from now and 10 years from now? And the answer she gave was, I want to be in every room of the home. I'm going to evolve beyond, you know, soft goods, but I, and I don't know how or where or when, but that's like my vision. And I want to create what you believe to be comfort when you are at your, in your home. Um, so the, 
the first thing we did was change messaging, you know, because right then and there she was parachute sheets, you know, and we're like, you are home essentials. You are much bigger than this one product. And we need to start changing the positioning of this brand and of you um, with media right now. It doesn't matter if your next category launches in six months or a year from now. And that small change really changed the way media started perceiving the brand very early on and the way they look at the brand, the way they write about the brand. So for us, we're always like messaging is key and also knowing the vision and mission of a brand well in advance um, because your whole strategy should be focused on that end game and that exit or that future vision of the brand, whatever it is. Um, and you could see over time, if you look at press from year one to now, I think, I guess it's eight years. I'm not sure. Nine so, years. Yeah. It's, um, you could see how all the narr the narrative continues to evolve, but it very much focuses on this much wider vision for Parachute as a company that is now like 17 stores nationwide and continues to grow and their categories have grown. They do furniture, you know? So, and Ariel has really ascended into this kind of expert in this when it comes to home and living and how do you exist within the different spaces in your home. So, um, to me, that's been just such a fun thing to look back on to really see how a brand so young has then evolved into from the challenger brand to arguably the leader in this category. Um, and which gets us even more excited when we're thinking about the brands that we're about to launch or we're, or, you know, gearing up for and to see what the potential is. So that's probably, um, a good one to reference for sure. Yeah. I, I feel like the one thing that you said there about positioning, it's like, it may seem like a little thing, but you don't want to like corner yourself in into a position from where now you're like having to, you know, have this crazy media narrative to get out of it. And then everyone's like, yeah. oh, why are they launching this other product? That doesn't exactly. make sense. So like, so yeah. when you're taking things in the, in longer term thinking in mind, you're able to start making sure the positioning and messaging across all those points. And even like you said, to the, the thought leadership, for example, like, let's, you know, let's make sure she's a thought leadership in, in the home, not just in like the pillowcase, right. Or something like exactly. that. Yeah. Another like perfect example of that is recess. You know, when we started working with Ben on recess, which was, you know, we launched his product. I remember he sat down with us and he's like, every agency I talk to keeps saying, okay, like you're going to be like the CBD beverage, CBD beverage. And he's like, that's not the only thing I want to do. Like, this is going to do, I'm going to do a lot more in this space. And I don't want to be known as the guy from the CBD beverage. And so we really started positioning him as like having him speak at all food and beverage conferences, not just, you know, about CBD, but about the food and beverage sector. And, you know, since then, he's come out with many different products and merch and like doing amazing things in his space. But I remember sitting with him and like Melissa and I were adamant. We're like, we are not pigeonholing you as like another CBD guy. Because he just had bigger plans. And we knew to get him to that place from a media perspective, we couldn't kind of, you know, paint him into mm -hmm. that corner. Especially when we knew there would be other brands launching very soon after. Like that's that's kind of the world we operate in is we luckily get intel about other things happening in categories, which allow us to then inform the strategies around our brands and making sure that we came out with the strongest, most compelling positioning for Ben and for recess from the gate because he, he was the first, but he wasn't going to be the last. Um, right. so that was also something that's also something you have to consider is 
you should be, like, I always say brands should always be launching categories that, are, that either are about to explode or already exist, but hopefully you have the best and most exciting thing. And those are the brands we want to work with. Um, but it's about the messaging think, positioning that you come out with, which is going to define the success. I think the other thing there is too, is like, we try when we're working with a brand that's launching, that's part of what we know is like something super trendy or something that's happening in the zeitgeist or in the world or whatever in culture. We know it needs to be more than that. Like it's not, you know, we're not just going to sign around because like, you know, again, CBD was having a really good moment. And so it made sense to how to do a CBD beverage. Like when we met with Ben, he, ha he had and he still has much bigger vision for his brand. So I think you need to be really skeptical of brands that are just kind of hopping on trends and that's all they're doing. They're and as Melissa said, that's why when we sit down with potential partners, we always ask, what do you have in mind for, you know, year two, year three, year four? What's your, you know, ultimate end game? Do you want to be acquired? Are you just looking to raise more and more money? Do you want to, you know, so to know all those things are really important because we're not here to just get press for a given amount of time. We want to help brands get from point A to point B. And if that means getting a, you know, we, we launched the Yes, which was a shopping platform started by Julie Bornstein and it was acquired by Pinterest um, last year. And, you know, she told us from the get-go, like, uh, we are creating something super innovative and super great with proprietary technology and, you know, the best kind of people in fashion. And, you know, this will eventually get acquired. And it did, you know, and, you know, it was amazing for her. But we helped her get to that point from a very early point. You know, we said to her, okay, this is your goal. Then we need to make sure that we're hitting a certain amount of business publications in addition to the traditional fashion press every single month. You know, and we, I would say with that client, you know, we just had a really nice diversity of press every week. You know, it was, we were hitting their consumer so that they were selling product. We were, doing some nice B2B stories so that their brands that were on their platform were happy. But at the same time, we were talking about the brand, you know, the, the, the yes is tremendous success. So, you know, potential investors and Pinterest were reading about that as well, mm -hmm. while promoting Julie as a thought leader in the space. Yeah. I mean, and that's not to say that if your messaging and positioning isn't spot on with your overall end game from the get-go that you know, you're screwed. We have a lot of brands. We launch a lot of brands. We also have a lot of brands who come to us when they're already in market. And maybe they're a year old, two years old, 10 years old. You name, I mean, we've worked with kind of every brand at every stage and size. And it never is too late to pivot. It's never too late to evolve. And, um, but I think it's even more important that whoever you choose to be a part of that process is very good and experience that that change and that pivot and evolution because it is something that requires even more of a high touch telling the right story about that brand and the right publication to get you to that evolution and that pivot um, is super key and um, I think that's just as important as doing it right at the get out of the gate is also getting it right when you're ready to change too yeah two two things that come to mind um, one I think you guys are so spot on about what you said about um, making sure that the right people are seeing you. So for example, the first company that I started seeded, um, you know, we'd been building it for a while when we went to New York and, you know, we took out all these like subway ads and ta taxi ads and all this sort of stuff. And then it, everything started to blow up, right? Cause like all of a sudden, all the investors, all the consumers, everyone was seeing it. And it was like, oh, this is like really real. So when you're, when you have your, when you have the attention in front of the right people at the right time, that is crucial no matter how you get there. 
The other thing um, that I'd like to really segue into kind of what, what you guys were talking about in a combination of pivoting and how brands, you know, might be going through a little bit of self-discovery and figuring themselves out um, and also like tapping and riding the waves of categories that are, are you guys see a lot of um, growth in over the next couple of years. So I'd love to like jump into what some of those categories that are like really exciting to you guys at the moment are and like what what sort of trends you guys see emerging because the the consumer sector like it's it's breakneck pace everything's changing every day right yeah yeah i mean melissa and i have a soft spot for empowering women our agency is run by women it's actually all women at this very moment um and so you know i can speak for us both on this specific one that anything kind of that's empowering women um, in the healthcare industry is extremely important to me. And I think, you know, to a lot of women at the agency, there's an enormous amount happening around the path to fertility and motherhood. And there's a lot of really interesting companies that are popping up in that space, whether it's egg freezing or surrogacy. We work with a brand called Nodal that's doing amazing things there. Um, I think women leaders and I think brands that are making these conversations more mainstream and giving women access to more options in this specific um, area is, it's, it's happening all over. I'm, you'll read in TechCrunch every day about another one popping up. But to me, it's like the more the merrier because it's such an important category and something that was really very kind of exclusive and elitist for a really long time. So to me, women's healthcare, specifically in the fertility sector, has been something we've been really passionate about professionally and personally. Yeah. And we're seeing a hundred percent. I think that and then even expanding beyond that category, but the broader healthcare category, I mean it's no secret. It is completely like being disruptive, disrupted in all areas, whether it's a new company making services for eating disorders easier or autism or, um, you know, gender affirming, you know, um, services. So like all of those things, I think that's what we're really excited about is when any kind of marginalized community has access to things they need to live better lives in a, the broader sense. So that we're really passionate about, we're really excited about. Um, I think areas that I'm particularly, and actually Jenny too, particularly interested in is more Sorry, innovation. I, it's so comical to hear you call me Jenny. I know. Because everyone. It's very performative. Everyone, <laughs> well, every single person in my life, every single person in my life calls me Jenny, except for my mother and Melissa. They call me Jen. Yeah. So every time now she's saying Jenny, I'm like looking around the room like, who is this person talking it's, to? Sorry, go it's ahead. It's firmly a performative thing that I only do with external comms. <laughs> but um, for consistency's sake. But anyway... We also are like very interested in the fashion, the evolution of the fashion space, whether it's circular fashion, how do we find more sustainable ways to create apparel? Um, so that's an area we're really, really interested in. Um, I'm trying to think what, I mean, there's, I mean, CPG is consistently yeah, coming CPG out with CPG never, so, I mean, our yeah. food and beverage division is, you know, always kind of working and signing some of like the most innovative and cool brands I've ever come across. I think... Climate tech is really fascinating. We work with Airco. Um, and then I think, you know, in sustainability, which is such a like, you know, overarching kind of everyone uses that term. But I think there are a lot of brands that are doing really impactful things for the environment. Um, 
in all different industries, whether it's fashion or, you know, beauty or home and design. So, you know, that I find fascinating. In the in the food specific category, though, like I do think there's a lot of really small uh, independently owned brands that are doing really exciting things. And a lot of these brands don't have funding. A lot of them are like a one woman shop, you know, one person doing olive oil or spices. And I think I think we're seeing a lot of excitement there, like not the traditional, like huge, you know, kind of Amazon brands, but these really kind of niche food and beverage companies that are doing exciting things. And it's exciting to see a lot more women in that category too, because traditionally food and beverage was very dominated by men. And now you're seeing like amazing women doing amazing things mm-hmm. in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, um, well, you, you guys called it when, when I asked what, what do you see as the big categories? The first one you said was like, um, you know, a lot of female empowerment. I was actually, we were just having a pod with a friend who they run like the biggest, like, e-com data sort of aggregator and I was like asking him I was like what are the like they scrape like I think 500 million products across like 77,000 stores I was like what products are blowing up and he's like the number one product that's blowing up has been uh period underwear and and like in women female empowerment these sort of products so you guys are definitely right right on right on the trends there um and then in terms of the in terms of like the future right like where do you see other opportunity because like um you know i th- i think the the tricky thing with a lot of these startups especially with the environment we're heading into right is that you see more and more startups it almost feels like everyone's you know every creator has their own brand or like every creator has their own beauty line and so there's more and more and more competition for the same sort of amount of spaces so what gets you guys excited when you start talking to different brands um and you're you're thinking about like partnering with them on the pr side of things like what gets you guys really excited about saying you know this is something that we can work with and these this team has a potential to to really be big. To us, there's like three things we work look for. The first is a passionate founder. We don't work with brands that are just like, listen, I made this, but I don't want anything to do with it. Like to us, the human being has to be part of the story. And it's a much more compelling story, obviously, for journalists, if there's a human behind it or humans. So to us, we need to really kind of be inspired by this founder. They need to kind of not be an asshole. They need to be a good person that we're excited to work with. Number two, we really like to work with mission-oriented brands. So as Melissa said, and you said as well, brands that are trying to do something impactful for the world or for a specific category. So they're not just out there to like sell another pair of denim jeans. Like they really want to change something and we want to be part of that change effectively. And the third why am I blanking on the third? Brands that make a difference. I was going to say the third's innovation, right? No, I was going to say the third, and I say this to actual potential new businesses, we have to actually just like it. Like we want to use it, right. gift it, wear it, share it, you know? And and I think, I mean, that's the luxury, obviously, of running your own business is you also, you want to be personally connected to something. So it may not personally touch my life, but it's something that I want to recommend. And I feel really good about being a part of this journey. So, I mean, that's very much focused on our value system. So that's the final barrier I think is, are we just like very pumped on it from like a visceral level and our team too, because at the end of the day, like you're spending all day, every day talking about brands and pushing their mission forward. We want not only do Jenny and I want to be excited about it, but we want our team to be excited about it too and feel great. 
Um, so, you know, I think that is pretty key. And I don't think enough yeah, people, I mean, people I, say that honestly. I mean, to me, I guess that's Melissa's, and I think that's a given. But I, I do <laughs> it's think It's not always. I think people things, sign things they generally do not align that's true. with. true. Just for the page. Well, no, I mean, when I worked at other agencies, like they would hand me this, like I worked at a company and they made sequin dresses and I've like never worn a sequin dress in my life. And it was like painful. But um, I think the other thing that is really important is the idea of innovation. And like when we started talking to you, listen, it's like 10 years ago, you could say like, I have a cool DTC brand and it's launching. And maybe that would be enough back then. Now, that's great to have like a certain format for selling your product, but you need to be innovative. So to us, when we're meeting with new business, like I wanna have that like, oh my God moment. Like I wanna have a moment where I text Melissa on the side and I say, that's really smart, I never thought of that. Because those are the things that we get pumped about, which kind of ladders into what Melissa said, and makes us do an even better job. If we really are excited by it, if they're making us think differently about something I've always seen one way, if they are providing something I never thought could be provided, like, you know, cabinet, Melissa, uh, that makes me say, holy shit, I want to be part of this. Because if this is the effect they're having on Melissa and I on a new business call, think of what it's going to do when we speak to an editor at the New York Times or the entire consumer. You know, so I like to have that, like, moment of like whoa these people are much smarter than we are no i i think that's so important when you're i think being able to be in a position like you guys are where you're able to work with clients like that that's like the that's the goal right because not only are you going to be able to do your best work but you're going to be inspired by the people that you work with and i think this is something that is actually applicable to any business like when you get to the point where you're able to say like these are the types of people I want to work with and they align with my values. Like you're going to do better work. And a lot of times if you start chasing clients just for the sake of like chasing, chasing clients, you might get pulled in a totally different direction that ends up where you're not doing your best work. They're not happy because it wasn't like a right fit anyway. So I think it's, and this is something that I've seen, um, with many of not only whether it's software, VC, creator, whomever, it's like the people who are authentic with themselves and want to do the work that best suits them. Like the end result is going to um, going to be the best. And the other yeah, you're point, exactly right. the The other point you guys made about um, you know how important it is to like really stand out now. I think that's something that's super important. Um, like you're saying, years and years ago, like D to C, it was a new, it was, it was actually a new thing, right? Like before all like brands weren't launching e-commerce because e-commerce infrastructure didn't exist. And if you were going direct to consumer, that meant you were innovating by creating your whole, uh, you know, you were probably having to build your own website, have your own developers to do it. And there was, that was a barrier to entry for a lot of the other competitors. Now you've got Shopify where the de facto way to start a business is oftentimes by starting online and starting direct to consumer as a channel. So when you when you're looking at it from a PR perspective, like the brand itself and the founders themselves, they need a they need more to that mission than just saying, oh, you know, now we're ready and we're another beauty brand that's ready to you know, be like all the other ones. You need exactly. something, something else. Exactly. See, you can uh, come work with us. You get it. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, and guys, as, as we kind of wrap up here, what, uh, what's like next for you guys in 2023? What are some of the trends or maybe projects that you guys are starting to take on that really get you guys excited? And yeah, like what kind of trends 
um, you know, in the overall PR space, get you guys really excited about the next couple of years? We recently launched an affiliate division. I think that was crucial and definitely a big part of our 2023. It's already grown significantly. Um, because basically we saw, you know, a lot of brands were hiring us as to do their media relations and then hiring an external affiliate agency when the two of them really are like absolutely married. You know, they need to be working closely together under the same roof, in my opinion, to be super successful. So we brought that in house and it's been unbelievably impactful for the brands that are retaining us for both services. Um, and I think we're going to see a trend of more and more brands wanting to do that, you know, based on the results we've had thus far. So from, you know, an operational standpoint, that's been really important. We're double downing on our executive speaking division. So that division was started out as one person just booking our founders for conferences is now like five people. And they essentially work on, you know, thought leadership opportunities for founders. And I I truly believe that is one of the most crucial part of media relations right now is getting your founders out there at the right opportunities with the right people, with the right audience. Um, it's free PR in a lot of ways. And it's really impactful for our brands that have passionate, excited founders. Um, in terms of trends or like what we're excited personally, I mean, we're, we're launching a, a lot of brands in the next few months. Um, and, but I can tell you, you know, we're lot of launching brands in the healthcare space. We're launching brands in the food space. We're launching brands in the fashion space. But like, to me, the most exciting thing right now is at JBC specifically, like the talent that we have is in my opinion, and maybe, you know, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anyone else, like the highest caliber of talent we've ever had. We have people that are coming from political PR, where you have people coming from that are experts in sustainability. So we've been able to really kind of open up, you know, our our hiring process to not just look for traditional publicists and instead look for people that are skilled in different categories that Melissa and I don't know enough about. And I think learning from those people and consistently pushing ourselves as agency leaders to kind of do things differently has been, you know, in my opinion, one of the more inspiring mm -hmm. parts of the past year. I think something more specific to this year, and this is more on the brand side, I've been seeing a lot of um, international brands um, positioning themselves for launches in the US this year, which I think is really interesting, even given the economic climate we're existing in. And these are all consumer brands. Um, which I think for me gives me a sense of positivity like a, and, and hope that there's there's obviously new brands launching every day, but when international brands are, are, are looking at this market as something that's attractive right now, um, I think there's something there's something interesting happening there and it's and they're from different categories. It's all across the you know the the spectrum of consumer, products. So that's something I've been noticing. It's only, you know, the second week of February or the first week of February. Um, and already seeing so many of those inbounds and that interest in um, launching in this market. So that um, I'm kind of loving. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, yeah, it's something that I've seen as well. A lot more brands with a little bit more international flair that are like, I guess, I, I guess it kind of makes sense, right? Like it seems like a lot of American companies led the charge in that first wave of D2C and consumer brands. And then, you know, everyone starts to like learn and follow after and, and follow those same models. So it's going to be a really exciting next, next couple of years coming up. So for any of our listeners who are listening and they want to connect with you guys, get in touch with JBC, are you got like, where can we find you? Why don't you give a shout out to your socials and where we can get in contact with JBC? <laughs> <laughs> Melissa's like, I don't know what they are. Um, 
Our socials are all, I think Instagram is jbetcom, J-B-E-T-T-C-O-M-M. That's where I think we're the most active right now. Although I'm pretty sure our head of content just launched a TikTok channel, which is terrifying considering Melissa and I are both probably too old for TikTok. Um, and then our website is jenniferbet.com, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-B-E-T-T.com. Our website actually has had a nice little facelift and is getting relaunched in a few days, which is really exciting for us as well. So those are usually the best ways to uh, learn more about what we're up to. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Thank you. That was fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much.